Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Follum. Welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 60,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash being freelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for conversion copywriter Paige Potiainen. But six months in, like I realized I wasn't happy. It was a lot of stress and a lot of work for very little pay. And I was like, if I'm going to stress this much to build something, I want to build something that's mine. I always thought I was like the, the best multitasker ever. And after I switched to like task batching and doing these deep dive theme days, like now I can't even like talk to somebody and do something else. The system's going to help you be more efficient and more productive, but you also have to be working on the right things. Because if you're being efficient on the wrong things, like in the end, you're just busy and it's not going to have an ROI. Yes, so there is Paige coming up in conversation in a moment from now. She joins over 160 guests at beingfreelance.com or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you've hit subscribe. If you enjoy this, please consider leaving a review and sharing it with other people. But also come and join us in the Being Freelance community. Loads going on. You can join via the link at beingfreelance.com. We have live Q&As. In fact, we have got Kate Toon, who was in season seven, who's like an SEO expert and copywriter, also runs courses and podcasts and all sorts. Kate was such a joy on the podcast, and I'm very excited that she's going to be joining us in the group for a live Q&A very soon. So if you want to be part of that, then come join us. Come find us. There's a link to the Being Freelance community at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's crack on, shall we? And chat to conversion copywriter based over in Tennessee, Paige Potion. And hey, Paige. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, awesome. I'm excited. How about we get started as ever hearing how you got started being freelance? Sure. So, so I guess I have a bit of a kind of a weird story. I guess everyone's story is weird in, in one way or another. <laughs> That's why I like it. Yeah, right? Like there's no same path to the to a good destination. So so I got started, I guess I could back up a little bit. So I fell in love when I was in college uh, with a guy from Finland who's now my husband. So I, I moved there after after my bachelor's studies and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was like, I'm kind of bookish and kind of nerdy and I really like learning. So I was like, oh, I'll just do grad school. Like, let's just delay the huge life choice of what to do with my life. So I did grad school, really got really excited about like in my studies, I was doing a a minor in entrepreneurship. So doing a lot of stuff in the startup space, uh, specifically kind of tech startups. So there's a really nice ecosystem in Helsinki. So yeah, that's just like what I was most drawn to. So after graduating grad school, instead of like doing something traditional like management consulting, which I had tried a little bit of, but just did not like connect with me at all. I went and worked for a really, really early stage startup for about six months doing content marketing. And I was kind of self-taught relying on stuff I had learned from the Content Marketing Institute, blogging and and thinking about inbound traffic strategies and, and those kinds of things. But six months in, like I realized I wasn't happy. It was a lot of stress and a lot of work for very little pay. And I was like, if I'm gonna stress this much to build something, I wanna build something that's mine. And also I had this kind of 
this kind of constraint, at least in my head, I'm not sure if it's, if it's real or not, but in my head, I felt like it was harder for me to get work in Finland, not being a native Finnish speaker. So I was like, why don't I just like try my hand at doing my own thing? And I actually joined Upwork. So I quit my startup job or I just didn't renew our contract. And I was like, I'm just gonna do Upwork and kind of fly by the seat of my pants. I didn't really have a plan, just like (laughs) take a huge risk, you know, low overhead. So that's good. Um, But yeah, so I got my start on Upwork and I took some jobs there. I took some courses about succeeding on Upwork, uh, which were really beneficial for me at the beginning. Somehow I got into like the copy hackers world, uh, which is where I live now. Um, So if you're not familiar, copy hackers is kind of the only place to learn conversion copywriting in its like current form. So somehow I found them. I started learning their stuff. I got involved in the copywriter club. I did like a copywriter accelerator for business. So my business has taken on probably a hundred different variations in like the last two years. Yeah. So that's kind of my, I guess, quick overview of how I got to where I am today. Crikey. So you were in Finland when you started on Upwork. So that was working with clients from all over the world or did you aim to mainly for the states yeah so i kind i didn't really have a preference um i took clients all over the world and found out that i had um like a advantage for people who wanted to break into us market because of being a native speaker um but i took clients in uk in hong kong in australia in sweden in us so really no barriers there And what did you find worked for you best on Upwork when you were getting work there? So there's a lot of things I think that that make a difference. One is just how you write your profile. Definitely, if you're not a copywriter, then learning a little bit about copywriting will help you write a better profile to where you're really talking to the like problems that people are going through, the solutions that they're looking for, how to, you know, set yourself apart. Um, but where it's not like about you, where you're like, oh, I'm a copywriter with 10 years of experience and, you know, blah, 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 like all about you. And you'd be surprised, like 99% of people do this, where they don't talk about the client at all, like the client's needs. And if you just like switch that, instead of talking about you, talk about the client's needs and how you can help them get to where they're going, that makes a huge difference in your profile and in your proposals that you do. Another thing was to kind of filter out proposals or filter out job posts. I'm still on Upwork. I don't really take clients off Upwork very often because I've kind of reached a threshold to where I'm kind of like more expensive and more experienced than most people are looking for. But like searching based on keywords, based on the level of experience they're looking for. Um, So you can filter out a lot of people who wouldn't potentially be a good fit just by like filtering like expert posts. So people who are looking for experts, I mean, it's not a like a scientific strategy, like it doesn't always work, but it helps you kind of filter out people who are obviously looking for the bottom of the barrel. Like if they're looking for beginners and you're definitely not a beginner. Just to put this in perspective, when when did you start on Upwork? As in what year? I think it was 2016. You mentioned like learning more, like going to copy hackers. And so learning more and developing your skills more. So was it doing that that then took you up a level? Yeah, definitely. 
there was a, a course before that. So it was about, um, it's called Freelance to Win, and it's about succeeding on Upwork. So it was really helpful in how you position yourself on Upwork more as a consultant, more as an expert, and less like an order taker. There's like lots of business development lessons to learn from that course, I feel like. And I was very happy. I definitely had an ROI on what I spent on that course versus what I brought in in projects. And then I found Copy Hackers. I'm not exactly, it might have been a few months later. I'm not exactly sure like how I found them somehow magically through the internet, through one of my deep dive holes that I found myself in. And then that's where my skills started to improve. Just over the course of months of, of learning something, doing it for clients, learning something else, doing it for clients, learning something else, doing it for clients. And like slowly have up leveled into a point that I feel like now that I've reached a level that Upwork is probably not the best place for, you know, I feel like there's a threshold that may or not be true. And that could be just like a belief that I have, but based on kind of external like data validation from conversations that I have, you definitely get those people. They're like, you're a little more experienced than we're looking for. And I'm like, okay, well, that's good, you know, data to have. So I need to go look in different holes, you know. So what were those holes that you went looking in? Definitely joining, for me, joining professional groups um, like the Copywriter Club was a way to network with people like me, but also people like me who share leads. So that was that was very beneficial. And I was in a lot of different kind of groups. So Copywriter Club, Copywriter Accelerator, which was more like a small group kind of accelerator, Copywriter Think Tank, which is kind of a peer mastermind. Um, and then I also did Joanna Weebs, which is the founder of Copy Hackers, her copywriter mastermind. So that was like a good way to make connections with people who had better networks than you and actually like find work that way. Because I do funnels like professionally, I also have some funnels for my own business um, that I create content for and send people back to lead magnets and slowly growing my list that way. And now I'm kind of focused on doing more what I call or what they call authority authority content. So really long form, in-depth researched pieces that you can post on blogs with really strong followings in your industry that have, where you can kind of borrow their reputation a little bit. So pieces that really is like establish you of someone who knows a lot in your space and is kind of like a trusted expert to go to when they when they need projects like that. Yeah, I see. Yeah. So people are seeing you on other sites and then they check you out and they, they, they come back to you. How When you're writing that kind of long form content, how much work is going into that? Oh, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. I was very resistant to it at first because it's so much work. So for the first year or so, I focused mainly on kind of micro content. So I recorded a lot of videos, like anywhere from three minutes to 10 minutes on YouTube, you know, just starting before I was ready, just kind of pushing myself out of my comfort zone, just to talk about what I do, give tips, things like that. Um, but the authority building content, it's a lot more in depth because you do have to do a lot of research. And I follow something that like Joanna Weeb teaches called the six and six plan. And it's basically you devote six weeks, uh, about one day a week, you have a content day. And so for six weeks, you do a deep dive into one specific topic and you turn that research into six different authority building pieces, whether that's one really long authority establishing blog post, it might be an ebook that you pitch to a brand like if I'm working with people who sell digital courses, for example, I might pitch Teachable because they sell that kind of software and we might do like a collaborative ebook, for example. 
or even like shorter pieces of content as well, or things like videos. You could pitch podcasts and do pod- podcast um, interviews about the research that you've done, etc. But it is a lot of work, like a lot. So you're saying that you would take six weeks off of any paid work and concentrate on creating that really rich material? Actually, no. So I use um, theme days. So they're, they're days that you have kind of allocated for specific types of activities. So I have marketing Monday, I have content Wednesday, Tuesdays and Thursdays are for client work. And then Fridays are usually for like business development kind of slash whatever else I have to do that, that doesn't fit into the other days. So it's really just kind of one day a week for six weeks. I see. Gotcha. But it really works that way by just saying, right, I'm going deep on this on this one particular day. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, the context switching, you lose so much time. And like once you start doing deep work, you realize like how much focus you lose when you switch tasks. Like I always thought I was like the, the best multitasker ever. And after I switched to like task batching and doing these deep dive theme days, like now... I can't even like talk to somebody and do something else like because I realize how much like my focus is divided and how much it impacts what I'm working on. Um, so what might you be doing on a Marketing Monday? Uh, okay, let's see. What did I do this week? So Marketing Monday, I might email my list if I have a uh, if you have an email list. So that's something I do. I try to do every week, sometimes in certain quarters, every two weeks. I might cold pitch if I'm if I've got a cold pitch strategy kind of in place for that quarter. I might do outreach for kind of collaboration. So if I'm going to, for example, if I'm working on my six and six plan, then Marketing Mondays I will need to start building those relationships with editors for guest posting or pitching podcasts to do um, that kind of outreach or pitching eBooks if I'm going to pitch someone an eBook. But yeah, it just kind of depends on kind of what the focus is for that quarter, because the focus does change. And things that are, that are marketing for my business go on Marketing Monday. So when you say a focus for a quarter, are you setting that focus? Or is that coming from one of the masterminds that you mentioned? It, it's coming from me. So each quarter, I do like 90 day, what I call, it, I guess, a 90 day business plan. And I decide like, what is going to be my biggest goal for the quarter? And it's usually revenue related. And then from that, I back up what like core projects do I need to do to meet that goal. And that determines like everything that I do for the entire quarter. So one quarter, I wanted to to really push a sales page review service. So productized service, I mean, I needed a sales page. I needed to work on my my workflow for how that would go. I needed to create content around sales pages. So that kind of stuff. So I try to do it in the most strategic way possible so that everything I'm doing in that quarter feeds that big business goal. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. And that's all driven by you. So it's clearly working, but it takes a lot to stay on top of that sort of thing. Are you still part of those masterminds? Are there people that you're, I guess, reporting back to, that you're holding accountable? yourself to or is it all just within you I think most of it's me 
And that's just the way I think. And I'm, I'm a bit of a like workaholic slash type A slash control freak kind of combination. I don't know if that helps. And I also like think kind of in terms of systems. So for me, it's kind of easy. Um, I do use those groups to kind of hold myself accountable. But I also use like things like Asana, like I have uh, checkpoints built in. I have like a like a goals kind of board in Asana where I track everything that I do. I make sure the projects are lined up, you know, the task underneath those. Um, I am still in some of those groups, like you asked. I think most of those are ending now, but there are a few communities I'm in. But it does help to have like that support community to where just like a small group, even if it's not anything official, that you kind of meet up, say, every two weeks or something with your group of five or whatever, where you can kind of set goals together, hold each other accountable, and like be real and vulnerable about where you're at because, you know, building a freelance business is ups and downs. So it, it helps to have like people that you can, who understand that because your friends and family don't really, unless they've, unless they own their own thing. But, you know, if they're used to the traditional kind of employment setup, then they don't really understand what it's like. And, you know, you have those days where you're feeling on top of the world, everything's going great. And the next day you might have a day that you feel like you want to burn it all to the ground. (laughs) And, you know, that's just like a cycle. Like, I I hope that someone out there knows how to make that end. I would love to connect with you. If you're hearing this, you're like, I know how to make you not feel like that. But that's been my experience, like these ups and downs, And it's really hard to do it alone. If you're having those down moments and you don't have a group who can like show you, because you know, it's all emotional and like you want to burn it to the ground and it's not really logic. Like you can't look and be like, oh, look how far I've come. I've done this great thing and this great thing and this great thing. It's like one bad thing happened and you get wrapped up in the emotions and then it's like, oh, everything sucks completely. And it helps to have the, that that clear vision, someone else to be like, no, you did this great thing. Look how you changed from this month to this month. That's been my experience, at least. What might be a bad thing? Like what makes you want to burn it to the ground? Let's say I had a really like a bad sales call, like a really terrible one for whatever reason. And then I just get so caught up in that, that I forget that there are great things that happened this week. And I'm, I'm getting better. I feel like that's a skill. Like you have to learn that, like how to emotionally manage yourself. I feel like like that's something that I'm getting better at, but also like things in your personal life. I don't feel like people talk about this a lot, but I went through a move like from Finland to Tennessee recently, like I think it was in like Q3 of last year. And it was really stressful and like moving your entire life. And like my husband's also employed and he was uh, self-employed and he was setting up his business and things weren't going like we anticipated. And it's just like when things in your personal life feel like upset, like not stable, it affects your business life as well because, you know, we're people. And when you're when you're a freelance business, like everything depends on you. So if your emotional state is not like level or or better than level, then it impacts your business in some way. In what way do you try to take care of yourself in that regard? Definitely having the support groups, that helps a lot. Um, Having a place where you can be vulnerable to say, hey, I want to burn it to the ground today. (laughs) Like, I just need you to tell me what I'm doing that's awesome. Journaling for me has been really helpful because it does let you get out those kind of emotional thoughts to where you're you're 
like mental state kind of slowly calms down. If you like, if you picture a tornado, like going really, really fast, like as I journal, like it gets slower and slower and slower. (laughs) It's like I can figure out my own problems, but I can't do it until I've written it down and like worked through that. So that for me has helped a lot. And definitely like if you have like a spouse or a partner or even like friends and family who aren't freelancers, or they don't have their own business. They don't know what it's like. It's much more productive for me to journal than for me to like emotionally dump on them all the time. Because for one, they can't give me good like feedback and stuff because they don't understand. And two, it's just like, it's just like terrible for them to have to like deal with that all the time. So your journal doesn't care. It's just an inanimate object. It's just there to serve you. So that helps a lot. Because you mentioned earlier, like feeling the stress at the startup and thinking, well, if I'm going to be distressed, I might as well build something for myself. And so it is the main core of distress, like the emotional challenges that come from it, of dealing with it, of picking yourself back up, or, or have there been other challenges along the way? Yeah, I think the the like main cause, at least for me right now, because I think it changes, is like uncertainty. Like I'm going through a pivot in my business um, where I've decided I'm not quite attracting like the right market or I'm not pulling in the right leads, like the leads that are coming to me because I just recently like up, up leveled my skills and now I'm getting a lot of people who aren't really in a position to take advantage of that. So I've had to, you know, of course that presents as symptoms like bad sales calls, like taking sales calls with people who have no money or don't understand what I do or just whatever, for whatever reason, like not a good fit. So taking lots of those, you know, that's a symptom that something's wrong, right? That something's not not in fit with like where I want to be. So just like the uncertainty of knowing something's wrong and not knowing how to fix it, I think causes a lot of that. So that that's improving because, um, you know, I've realized that, hey, actually I need to be working with these people because these people have a better like marketing and sales foundation in place already to benefit from working with a conversion copywriter with my skill level. So I think a lot of it is the uncertainty and maybe the having problems but not having answers yet. Some people thrive in that kind of uh, space. So I think it, it is personal, like, because I am very risk adverse. And so I like to be able to see, like, the whole outcome, like the end of the tunnel from where I am. Like, that makes me comfortable. And when I can only see two or three steps in front of me, I think that's where a lot of the like unsettledness comes from. So going back to your weeks, you have two days a week that you do client. Was it Tuesday and Thursday? Yes, Tuesday and Thursday. Mm -hmm. So they're your client days. How many clients do you work with at a time? Yeah, so for me, um, with the types of projects I take on, so they're a little bit longer term, you're looking at a month to two months or longer, I usually take on max one to two clients at a time that that's for like bigger projects and then there are things like you know 90 minute consulting sessions i can take a few of those a week or sometimes like um, if you sell something like a day rate um, so it's a really quick turnaround project it has very defined beginning and end then i can take like an extra one of those a week but for the bigger ones it's usually one max two clients at a time and what does your working day look like on on those days? I'm actually a, a little bit later riser. I'm not a morning person. And uh, I was just reading, or I'm still reading a book called When. I think it's 
by Daniel Pink or something like that. Um, and it kind of explains like how to listen to how your like brain works best and noticing like when you have peak productivity and lag time and all that. So I start working somewhere around 8 to 8.30 and I log into my Asana dashboards. I have all my systems set up. I keep everything in there, like nothing's in my head. Everything's in Asana, so I don't have to stress about it or forget things. So I log on to kind of my, my task dashboard and it automatically populates the things that are due today. And then I can sort through those, prioritize and figure out how I'm going to plan the day. Now, it, it really just depends like on the type of project. So it could be a really long day. It could be like a, I've had like 10 hour days, depending on the the project and what stage it was in. A lot of times it's about a six hour, like six hours of good working, like billable time. And then you'll have some buffers like for lunch, admin, and then just at the end of the day, kind of answering emails or doing like participating in your groups if you're in groups like that. So it could be like a a four hour day if for some reason I have one project and it's like the stage it's in is where I can't do a whole lot, like I'm waiting on something, but it could be up to like 10 hours. So I guess it's important to say that like I reserve Tuesdays and Thursdays for client work and I don't book any other kinds of things short of like calls with clients or prospects in those days. But like on heavy weeks, then, you know, I may have to borrow time from some of my other days. So like on marketing Monday, I might take half the day, like a three to four hour block and do my marketing tasks and then take the rest of the day and do some client work. So because the most important thing is that I meet the deadlines I have agreed to. So, you know, just like remembering to be flexible so I guess having rigid boundary, not rigid, but like set boundaries, but with a little flexibility built in. Yeah, that's good, actually, because it means that you've got that slack in in those other days that you've assigned for things. So long as you don't always borrow from them, I suppose, that's actually really good. That's better than having five days of client work and then nothing to borrow from. Yeah. And then like working the weekend and hating your life because you have no life and you're like, I have to change something. So yeah. So I think for me it works and it's definitely if you don't do like theme days or some kind of batching like that, it's definitely like um experiment in kind of figuring out what works for you and how to adapt it so that you feel happiest every week and you're not like really running yourself into the ground, which leads to burnout as we know. But yeah, I definitely think if someone's listening who hasn't tried it, it's for me, has been really great and is definitely worth worth an experiment. And then your Friday, what was your Friday? Uh, so Friday is usually like business development. So if I have a specific kind of project, so a mixture of sp- business development and kind of random stuff, which is not a great answer, but like finance, <laughs> finance things, yeah. um, like communicating with your bookkeeper or Um, like updating, like if I update my WordPress site, uh, I do that on Fridays. That's like a recurring task on my sauna board. Um, Just kind of things that don't fit anywhere else in the week and that aren't a huge priority, but have to be done. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. If that's what you do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that is, there's no good alliteration for that really, is it? Fiddly bit Friday. Maybe that's it. It's all the fiddly bits that you didn't have time for. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good word. And like, another thing is um, like courses. Like if you're doing a course or something, instead of like diluting my other days with that, I'll just work through a course or block time for like a specific course that's going to uplevel my skills or something like that on Fridays. So you keep your weekend clear? Yes. 
I try not to schedule anything. Now I'm a little bit of a workaholic and that that's like a work in progress. I don't have anything scheduled, but sometimes I will get the itch to work on something of mine. So if I'm working on my website or if I'm working on like that authority building content, I might get inspired on like a Saturday morning and I like want to sit down and like draft a post or outline something. So I do do some things on the weekend, much to my husband's displeasure. Like it's never client work. It's let's, let's say 99.9% of the time it's not client work. It's always stuff that helps my business move forward. So actually, so do you feel like work-life balance wise, you're happy like it's working out? Yeah, I think... It's in a better place than it has been in the past. So when I lived in Finland, you know, in the wintertime, it's really cold and it gets really dark really early. So we have about in in like the Helsinki area, about five hours of daylight. So I found myself working a lot because there was nothing else to do. Like it was cold. You didn't want to be outside. It wasn't light. Like I just worked really, really long days. And I learned that that quickly leads to burnout. And so... You know, you always have those kind of threshold moments or breaking points where you're like something has to change. And I feel like it has changed a lot, um, setting those boundaries, you know, around when I work and when I quit. But I wouldn't say that I've arrived at work-life balance. And I think it changes depending on like what's going on in your life. But I definitely can say that like I feel better about it. Going to your like your revenue streams, I guess, because you mentioned obviously you got client work where you're actually doing copywriting for people. But you mentioned consulting calls as well. Is there anything else on top of that or is it those two? Yeah, so it's primarily the like done for you kind of work. And then I've recently put out an offer for for like other copywriters because I specialize in funnels and lots of copywriters want to do funnels or they want they have a client project and they don't do funnels but their client needs help so they'll bring me on kind of as a consultant but they don't need like a lot of help like a 90 minute call like a strategic call to help them sort through everything is enough and then also kind of business owners who have a really small problem and they want an expert, like expert eyes, or they want to like rent my brain, but they don't want, they don't need like a full project yet. Um, So that's kind of the consulting call offer that I have. And it's just kind of, I guess you could consider it like in, not really an entry level. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it really, or a down sell. It's not really that either, but so I have that just for kind of like, let's say bite size service. I like that word better. Yeah, it's the people who need your your brain, but they they don't necessarily need the writing being done there and then. Right, it's more strategy. It's not really any writing at all because that's not enough time, but it's definitely strategy. And then I've experimented also with some courses. So that's in the the pipeline, not in the near near future, but you know, in the in the vision for the future is building out some courses around systems because that's kind of my superpower. So systems for freelancers or solo uh, service providers, things like that. That's definitely like not on the the next maybe two quarters um, because I have learned that like when you divide your focus, you don't like pr- you don't progress in as quickly in all the in all the areas as you do if you just like focus on one thing. So yeah, that's great. I like the fact that you have this focus, this 90-day type focus because it can be like sometimes when you come up with an idea it can be easy to think, "Oh, I'll do that now. This is the fun thing I've just thought of." Yeah. Yeah, I and I'm like that. Um I think most of us are like otherwise like it's an entrepreneurial trait, I feel like. 
And most of us are like that because, you know, we've we've gone out on our own as entrepreneurs, and that's something that, that we also do. But, you know, I've also learned that a lot of times, a few weeks in, I'll be working on this thing, and I'll realize this wasn't the best decision. <laughs> and so I think it's a continuous exercise in self-restraint or discipline. So I do have like a board in my asana where I capture those ideas. I even maybe outline them. Like if it's an offer, I might say how much it's going to cost, what the contents are going to be, like what my plan is, just get all the ideas out. And it's like, then my brain can rest because it knows that that the stuff's captured somewhere, but I don't act on it until like I'm planning the next quarter. And a lot of times I find that I'll reevaluate whether or not that's like the right decision based on like my strategy, like where do I want to go? And actually it's more of a distraction than like a strategic project. What led you to doing the consulting calls? Was it like because somebody asked you for it or did you sit there and think, maybe I could do this? Yeah, I think it was more along the lines of having sales calls with people who like either couldn't afford or weren't ready to like do a project of the size that I would do one. And but they did need like some critical help to like get to the next stage. But it was just like a small thing. And so I I just had this like, what if I offer strategy calls like at 90 minutes? That's long enough for us to get something done. Um, for us to like dive into a specific problem and like map out some action points or what to do. So if they get something out of it, but it's it's very bite-sized, it's very affordable. And some people who are kind of maybe hesitant to like jump into say a $5,000 project are okay to pay 500 to get like the first, the first kind of problem solved. So it was really just an experiment. Like Filling, filling out the kind of the feedback you're getting from sales mm. calls or from interactions, then thinking, well, let's try this and see what happens. And are they bookable via your website or do they all come out of doing a sales call? Yeah, currently you can book like a strategy session directly from my site. So it's called a breakthrough session and I have a link in like my top nav bar. And it's like a quick sales page. And then I've embedded like a Calendly event specifically for that. So they can actually go in there, choose a day, choose a time, book, pay everything like at their convenience. So it kind of reduces work on my end. And people like when they have a problem, they like to get things quickly. So I feel like from their end, there's less back and forth and it's a much smoother like client experience. And so it's paid for up front as well. It's all taking, you just suddenly get a notification saying, oh, by the way, (laughs) you're going to be doing this call and there's the money. Yeah, yeah. So definitely like upfront payment for those kind of small things that require you to block time in your calendar calendar. Because you know, if someone doesn't show up, like that's time you've lost. So yeah, so I take everything up front. And how about payment for the other jobs? Uh, do you take a deposit? Do you take it all up front? Like how how have you because they sounded like they could go on for quite hefty chunks. Yeah, so it's it can vary a little bit depending on the client and like, you know, if you're working with Google, usually they'll have, (laughs) they'll have like their own processes and they're like, no, you have to do it like this. So, (laughs) you know, it just depends on like kind of who has, I guess, more power in the relationship. I'm not sure if that's the best way to describe it. Most often I take a deposit up front. Uh, It's usually 50% depending on the size of the project. 
Um, so really big projects will be broken up into like smaller chunks, unless the client prefers to pay like upfront. Some some clients are like that. They're like, no, it's just more work on my accounting department. Just let's just do it all upfront. But most often it's a like 50% deposit. And then the 50% is either on the copy presentation. So that's kind of on delivery. So it doesn't include like edits and things like that. So I send the invoice once I've presented the copy. And then with some clients, like, like if we're being honest here, if you can tell like a client might be a risk, I might take it before that. So, you know, on like upfront to hold their spot and then maybe 30 days later, I might take the second installment. So it just kind of depends, I think. I mean, you mentioned systems. You're the systems girl. <laughs> what would you say have been like the, the your favorite things or, you know, the most effective things that you've kind of implemented that have made a difference to you? So in systems, I would say having Asana and like knowing how to turn the systems in your business into like Asana projects, because the way I set projects up, like, for example, I have like a leads where I manage leads. I have where I manage client projects, specific types of client projects. I have where I manage like um, collaboration outreach if I'm pitching podcasts or doing guest posts. For pretty much everything in my business, I have a system for it in Asana um, so that I can take everything that's kind of swirling around in my head and just put it on paper and I can schedule it, assign it. Um, I even schedule follow-ups in, in those in those projects so that, you know, if I send a client an email and I'm going to need them to do something, then so I'll, I'll send that email, I'll mark that I sent the email, and then I'll go ahead and schedule like a touch base with myself. So I might touch base in two days. Did I receive this from this client? So that on that day, I can actually go in and be like, no, they haven't responded to me yet. I need to follow up again. So I think for me, having those systems, and that's a really big thing. Like there's, you could like break even that down into like, you know, you have, you know, one Asana project, but it's got stages, you have templates, um, you have routines, like it's a huge thing. I think for me, that has been the most beneficial because you're not relying on yourself to remember things. You just work your system. Like every day I assign, I sign into my Asana. Yeah, I see what's populated. I have like reminders to check in with certain systems, maybe at the beginning of the week, like routines, like a weekly routine, a monthly routine. And I just sign in. I see what's due. I prioritize and then I start executing. Wow. It sounds like it's so involved that it works amazingly so long as what you put into it is right, as in if you weren't inputting the right stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, I mean, so you can systematize kind of the wrong strategy and you'll be you know, efficient and you'll be productive, but you might not be working on the, wrong, on the right things. Um, so there's definitely like two things to think about. It's not just the system. The system is going to help you be more efficient and more productive. But you also have to be working on the right things. Because if you're being efficient on the wrong things, like in the end, you're just busy and it's not going to like have ROI. Okay. Now, I always do this thing, Paige, where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie. And let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? Okay. So I became a published author in middle school at the young age of 13. My first sales call on Upwork, so my first freelance project ever, I closed a project at $3,000. And I speak four languages, three foreign, and my native English. Ooh. Okay. What are the four languages? So English and then what? So English, Finnish, Spanish, and French. 
Oh, man. Okay, actually, mate. Well, as in fluently? Uh, well, no. I wouldn't say native fluency, but like, con- let's say conversational. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Competent conversational. Yeah. Well, okay. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds doable. So your first ever job, your first ever job was 3K on Upwork. Yeah. Do you want to know more about that project? Yeah. Like, was it for some sultan? Uh, so it was an ebook project. So I wrote, maybe basically distilled the thoughts of this client into an ebook and designed the ebook for her. Okay. At 30, okay, so what was the book that you had published, like actually properly published? Yes, so published author. I didn't publish an entire book by myself, but I was published in an anthology of young Americans, and I I published a poem called Sorry Mom. (laughs) Can you remember it? Oh, I have it saved on my computer somewhere. Yeah, but I, I can't remember it. Yeah, I just remember the title and, yeah, anthology of young Americans. How nice. Okay. All right. All right. I think that's probably true. Four languages sounds true. I'll be be honest, 3K surprises me for your first ever job on Upwork. But that almost sounds true because you've also made it sound believable. Four languages. Oh, I don't know. Okay. The number two, Upwork is a lie. No, that's true. Oh, man. Oh, please don't tell me you're not a published author. No, I'm, that's also true. Good. So you can't you can't speak four languages. No, I can't speak four languages. Ah. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Yeah, I think for me right now, if I could go back to 2016 to young little first starting out or a freelancer page, I would tell her to start building her authority like right now. Because I feel like it's the biggest game changer. And I had mentors who said, do it. Like, do it now, do it now, do it now. And I was like, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Uh, Maybe later, maybe later. But I feel like that is the hugest opportunity I missed is doing that really deep, highly researched authority building from the beginning. But did Paige starting out at that point... Like, do you feel like you need to reach a certain point in order to have that authority legitimately? Do you see if you see what I mean? Yeah, I see what you mean. And that's a really good question. I think you can go really far. Like, because I did grad school and we had to write like a thesis, you could use that kind of same setup to write kind of authority building content. And it's basically you're doing a lot of research and you're distilling like things that are being said, things that are missing, things that are like not being said. And you can go kind of a lot further than most new freelancers do just with that strategy. And as and of course, you're learning also, like the more research you do in like the space that you're focusing on, you're going to learn a lot. And that's going to be stuff you can use also in sales calls. Um, You can be like, well, I don't have a good answer for you, but this is what I know has worked and this has worked and this hasn't worked and kind of things like that. It kind of speeds up your learning process. So eventually, or even like in a short while, you'll have your own things to say. Like I'm reading that everyone's talking about this, this strategy but it doesn't actually work. Like we tried it and it didn't work and break down like why you think it didn't work. And, you know, there's a lot that can be done. So I do get what you're saying. Like if you're just starting out, 
Like, how do you come off as an expert? And I think it's, you know, the answer lies with, what do they say in research? Like standing on on the shoulder of giants or something like that. So building off of what's already been said in the space. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. No, it absolutely does. It's a great answer because it's, it is that thing of you're, you're showing your passion and your interest in something and therefore evolving your knowledge in, you know, in the piece you're writing simply by delving so deep into it and learning from it, even putting that across or documenting things that you're testing. It's, I guess it's that definition of authority, which is, which is why some people get held back as well, because they feel, you know, like imposters, like they do, oh, I can't possibly do that. But actually, maybe we all know more than we think. And actually, it's okay not to know all the answers, because you can go and find them out from everybody else and bring it together in your own way. Yeah. And there's also value to add in the fact that you recognize that there are gaps. You don't not have the answer, but you've done this huge survey of what's being said. And you're like, no one's actually talking about this or no one's talking about this. Or um, or I found that when I'm researching about sales funnels, people talk about it in a way that's not really actionable. If you sit down in front of your computer and you want to create a sales funnel, you're like, what do I do now? You know? So yeah, there's definitely opportunity. And I would, I would say that like, don't let the imposter syndrome hold you back. And I know that's a big thing to say because we all feel crippled by it at one time or another. But yeah, like approach it, approach it from a learning standpoint. You know, at least if nothing else, you're going to know everything that's out there about what you're doing. So it's already going to put you, you know, 10 or more steps in front of everyone else. And when you were pitching to like the big popular blogs or magazines or whatever it might be, would you have written it already or would you pitch them the idea? Yeah, it depends on their editorial guidelines. So most of the time it's like an outline, like a fleshed out outline of kind of what you're going to say. So you do need to have done the research and you need to have a good idea of like what your angle is and how it matches up to who you're pitching. But usually outlines enough, but you will come across some editorial like guidelines for the specific blog you're going to pitch and they're like no we want to see an entire post or you might communicate with someone and they're like well let me see the post and then you have to do that so it it just depends and have you been tempted into speaking on any of those subjects as well as as part of your authority building as you put it yeah I, i haven't done it yet i think that's an option i think that's something that i'll kind of feel out as i go so i definitely do do some I don't know if you would consider like YouTube videos speaking, but I, like I do do that. Like I'll create like micro content and put it on my own channels because I, I definitely want the larger, you know, content pieces on blogs that have more visitors or have more, let's say, authority or like reputation just for, you know, from str- from a strategic standpoint, I'm just going to get more out of it if it's not on my blog. Um, but I do like to put stuff on my blog as well for my readers. So more micro content. But I do think that there's an opportunity to speak on some of that stuff. But I do feel like I would need to have like things to add to the conversation. Paige, it has been so great talking to you. Thank you so much. Go to beingfreelance.com. There will be links to everything that Paige is up to. So you can go and check out her or connect with her online as well, of course. And while you're there, make sure you click through and join the community. If you've not the Being Freelance community, so you can come and find us in there. We've got the vlog up on YouTube and just, well, I don't know, 160 or 70 or so conversations just like this one for you to enjoy. So make sure you've hit subscribe 
subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can leave a review or even better, just tell other freelancers that this exists too. But Paige, I really appreciate your time and all the best. It sounds like you're going great guns. Whatever you've written down on that Asana goals board, I hope you nail it very soon. And all the best being freelance. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been great.